Hi everyone, my name is Moss Surrett and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership in the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. My guest today is Dr. John Mark Day. Dr. Day currently serves as the Director of Leadership and Campus Life at Oklahoma State University. Prior to OSU, John Mark served in various roles at TCU. John Mark completed his undergraduate work at TCU and holds master's degrees from TCU and Dallas Theological Seminary and, and earned his doctorate from Vanderbilt. At the 2017 NASPA Annual Conference, Dr. Day is the coordinating presenter on a session titled Creative Leadership, the Arts as a Tool for Engagement and Inclusion. Welcome, John Mark. Hey, thanks. I'm happy to be here. So, John Mark, we're making history. This is the uh, first in, in-person NASPA Leadership Podcast. How are, you, uh, how are you feeling about things? Oh, man, I'm feeling the pressure. I just, uh, I hope it's not the last in-person NASPA Leadership <laughs> Podcast. Gosh, I hope not either. I, <laughs> it feels like if that happens, it will be the result of some sort of technical failure on my end and not, and not you making a content mistake. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Let's, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, my first question for you here. What do you think is unique about having a double first name? Oh, so for me, I, I appreciate it because I always know if somebody who's calling me actually knows who I am or mm. not. Mm. Uh, when I earned my doctorate, it was very important to me that people still called me by my first name. I still wanted to be John Mark. But now if somebody calls and asks for John, I say, actually, it's Dr. Day. And that has been uh, my nice way to sort of dig that in that way. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Great. All right. So uh, uh, you mentioned something when we talked uh, previously. I'm really curious. Tell me about the citywide effort to get Stillwater, Oklahoma a target. Yeah. So I just moved about a year and a half ago to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where uh, Oklahoma State University is located. Um, Currently, we're sitting at a census population of about 45,000 officially. We know with our student population, we're well over 50,000. And 50,000 is like the magic number to get a target. Mm. And so uh, when 2020 rolls around, you're going to see lots of advertising in the city of Stillwater to get every single student possible to sign up, (laughs) sign up in that census. And we're so hopeful that the really good folks at Target uh, we'll pay attention to that uh, and we'll come in and move into town because I can guarantee you their revenue is just going to go through the roof. As soon as they come in, that's going to be like the number one store in the country. Everybody is just anticipating and so excited for that. So. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to we're gonna tweet this podcast at Target. That's, that's right. going to happen. We're going to do that. Hashtag Target and Stillwater. Let's start the movement now. <laughs> all right. So uh, how did you train your dog to eat your siding? Yeah. So I have this, this dog. He's a Border Collie uh, Australian Shepherd mix about a year and a half old, very, very friendly. As soon as he moved in with me, he started destroying my house, eating (laughs) eating the siding off of the back. He's knocked stair railings out. He has knocked a hole in my fence in an effort to get out. Uh, What I realized is his name is Mr. Tumnus. He's named after the fawn from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so what my friends have said is that's that's their theory is he's just trying to find his way to Narnia. So he's going to chew through the house, he's going to bust through holes and things all in an effort to find his way back home. So. Just keeps trying to get back to that lamppost. Trying, keeps trying to get back to the lamppost. That's exactly right. So a great dog who has just destroyed my house. Great, great. Yeah, I think that uh, my partner might feel the same way about our house. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I know that you're rewatching Golden Girls. So what led to the rewatch and what are some key takeaways? Yeah, so I realized... I. I missed out on a whole lot of pop culture when I was growing up as a child. I didn't watch a whole lot of TV, and what I did watch, I, I just I had no idea what was going on. Um, and so, Golden Girls has recently been re-released on Hulu, and they paid a 
like a whole big deal to it. Um, so I started watching it and I realized, okay, now this is great because I get the jokes. I had no clue what the jokes were when I was a little kid watching Golden Girls. I had the exact same problem with Seinfeld. Um, and so I've really enjoyed watching the Golden Girls now that I can appreciate it. You know, the biggest takeaway for me has been, I thought these people were so old when I watched it as a child. Yeah. Uh -huh. And now, I mean, they're like in their 50s or 60s. And, I, and that's been a really hard mental <laughs> leap for me uh -huh. uh, to go from these women who I thought were so ancient, uh, ancient to people who really are not that much older than uh, a lot of people currently in my life. So. Mm. It's been an odd mind shift. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the moment when you realize that you're closer to being a golden guy than, than exactly. you realize. Yeah. Boy, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a full-on grown-up now, I think. Yeah, yeah. everybody's got, got a few of those moments. That's right. Sure. All right, so we're going to move on to uh, Higher Ed, Two Truths and a Lie. So I'm going to provide you with two Higher Ed current events and one lie, and you're going to have to parse out the lie. The theme this week is tech troubles. Oh, man. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So your first option, there is a movement in the academic research community to extend federal approval for marijuana growing facilities. Currently, the only facility is located at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. The variety of marijuana being grown in Oxford allegedly doesn't compare to the diversity of street consumption, which creates mismatched results in the academic research. Nicholas Norvich, a professor emeritus of political science at Washington State University, summarizes the issue by saying, we can't get very far with the Mississippi weed. That's just the reality. <laughs> so that's your first option. Okay. Uh, the second option is recently the University of Florida's zoology program experienced an alarming malfunction. The, campus, the campus's alligators are monitored with GPS tracking devices. A graduate student who tracks the animal's movements alerted campus police because one of the alligators seemed to be actively moving through Cypress Hall, a residence space on campus. All was well, though, as one of the trackers had fallen off and a student was carrying the device in their pocket. <laughs> so that's your, that's your second option. Okay. And then your third option is that Yale University recently investigated a coffee maker. University officials believed a coffee maker at their institution's graduate, med graduate medical center caused several people to fall ill. The State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection eventually sampled the machine and determined no foul play or caffeine irregularities. Okay. So those are your three options. We've got the University of Mississippi and their uh, exclusive uh, marijuana growing capacities. We've got a, uh, a, mouth, uh, <clears throat> a missing uh, GPS off of an alligator at the University of Florida. And we've got Yale University and a coffee maker. So, you know, we have had at Oklahoma State University, we're an ag school, land-grant institution. Uh, we've had very similar issues with cattle going missing as, mm. as to the alligator, and so that one I would believe. Um, I'm gonna go with the, the marijuana at the University of Mississippi. I don't see that being, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, setting. Mississippi would be an odd state for that. Mm. Yeah, you would think so. So unfortunately, mm. you have you have uh, fallen prey to the uh, to the uh, rule of only thirty three percent of people getting this right, as okay. you might imagine. Uh, so, uh, so nope, that one is real. Wow. Um, I don't think I, I wish that I could have made up a quote that good, but I could not. Okay. okay. Uh, Yale also did have a coffee maker incident. The uh, the fake one was the University of Florida Zoology Program. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So to give you a little peek inside my process there, yeah. uh, 
I find the two fake ones and then I try to find a theme and then I sort of search from there. Sure. Cypress Hall, real place at Florida, actually have a zoology program. Okay. Actually do have GPSs on their alligators. Just say all of these, that's completely mm -hmm. logical. It is. That was yeah. well crafted. Well, yeah. well done. Well, that's the game. <laughs> so. All right. So our next segment is designed to help li listeners understand you as a person and a professional. So it's called getting to, getting to know John Mark. So uh, what led you into student leadership work? Yeah, so I have a fairly non-traditional path into student affairs. Uh, my master's degree is actually, one of them is in journalism and one of them is in uh, theology and communication. Um, I was working at TCU at the time doing admissions marketing and they have this really uh, well thought of and successful extended orientation program called Frog Camp. They needed somebody to come in and, and do camp um, I have a camp background and I was super excited about it. And so I got my start in student affairs really as a summer camp director. Um, and that was just kind of what I thought I would do for a couple of years and move on. Uh, I was really fortunate though in the fact that where our orientation and camp program at TCU was housed was in an office that also did leadership programming, mm -hmm. uh, also did student organizations, men's and women's programming, all of these great things. And so I had the opportunity to really get invested in leadership programming from the start of my of my job um, in student affairs, totally without expecting to. And so everything that we did had this leadership bent to it. Um, and so I, I got really interested in leadership programming after I was already working in it, it, really. And so I decided after doing that for a few years that if I wanted to do that really well, I needed to actually study it. And so that was when I went to Vanderbilt and got my uh, doctorate in higher ed leadership and policy um, but it's it, you know it, it does give me I feel like a different perspective because I don't have that sort of master's grad school training in uh, leadership I mean I had been working with students for years before I even heard of chickering or vectors or anything like that mm -hmm. uh, and so I feel like I was playing catch-up for a while uh, but I think it's been a really cool path for me uh, from seeing how students operated at a camp setting. And, and we did a tr very traditional summer camp uh, to kind of moving into the more academic side of leadership. Hmm. Great, great. Yeah, I love that name, Frog Camp. I think the Horn Frog is a great mascot. Well, it's it's was uh, rated by ESPN at one point as one of the most unique mascots in college athletics. And, uh, you know, TCU is very, very proud of the uniqueness of that, mm. sort of that mascot. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think people have this idea that mascots should be intimidating, but mm -hmm. I think they should just be fun. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is they. It's so the the actual horn frog is a real lizard. It's about four inches long. You know, it's super cute. But teacher really tries to bump up the intimidation level. Mm. Uh, so horn frogs are known for when they're threatened, they spit blood out of their eyes. Ooh. And so have you uh, ever done that? I have never done that, but okay. that's like, so the athletics website for TCU is spit blood and, and the football helmets have these red streaks that go up the top of them. And so they really own that, uh, try to make that little horn frog as terrifying as possible. Wow. So. Spit blood. Right. That is intimidating. See, we tried. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So you transitioned to Oklahoma State fairly recently. And prior to that, you spent a great deal of your academic and professional life at TCU. So how did you end up deciding to leave a place with such a deep personal connection? Yeah, it, it was not an easy decision for me. Um, but it was time. I had, I had recently gotten my doctorate and TCU had been such a huge part of my growing up as well as my professional career and, and knowledge and education. Uh, but I also felt like 
I had gotten to a point where I wasn't challenging myself anymore. You know, I, I knew TCU, I knew my job. Uh, we were really successful, but I wanted to see what it would be like to be in a completely different context. And so, uh, you know, OSU was about as different a context as I could find going to a large public land grant institution. Um, it was very important to me to get to work with students from rural backgrounds, because that's my growing up. And so getting to be at an ag school in Oklahoma and really serving that population and, and talking about leadership with that population was such a cool and exciting challenge. You know, the thing though that, that really stood out for me, I remember when I walked on campus at OSU for my interview, and it's just orange everywhere at Oklahoma State University. I mean, the walls are orange, just everywhere you go, and at TCU with purple everywhere. And so that actually was where I went, okay, I can, I can be okay here because that felt very familiar to me. Mm. Even at totally different types of institutions, being at places where students are just hungry to learn and grow and develop and are very proud of their institution um, was, was important to me and was exciting for me. And it's just caused me to grow so much as a professional. And it's been, it's, it's not been an easy move by any means, uh, but has absolutely been such a fantastic move for me that um, I'm, I'm having such a great time at OSU and I'm very thankful uh, for the opportunity to be there. Hmm. Okay, great. All right, this is a question we ask everybody. Uh, and when I say we, I mean me. Sometimes I say we and it gets confusing. Uh, so, I don't think I've asked anybody this question probably. <laughs> well, maybe, I bet you have. Okay. What's the best book about leadership? So, best is such a tough, interesting uh, term. The one that I've read most recently that I have found really interesting is a book called The Road to Character by David Brooks. Are you familiar with this? I'm familiar with, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I rarely am familiar, but this okay. one I am. Mm -hmm. Well, I like it because it's not, you're not going to find it in the leadership section of mm -hmm. a bookstore, but uh, Brooks has, has done all of this thinking and research into what character is um, and what embodies that and how people develop it. And I... To me, leadership is a value-neutral term, right? Mm -hmm. Leadership can be good and leadership can be bad. And so when we talk about leadership, it's really important that we talk about things like character and ethics and how to lead well. And so I, I like Brooks's work because he really dives into what character looks like and writes these really cool biographies of people who he says exemplify character. And so I learned a lot about leadership and about character, but I also learned about some uh, folks and some people that I wasn't really familiar with, so it was a great book. Mm. Yeah, I'm familiar. So I've read his. Uh, I've read the Social Animal, which is oh, yeah. book that he's done. That's really that's really good. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of David Brooks. Um, so I know you've been thinking about mentorship a lot. So what are you hoping to explore in that space? So for me, mentoring is key to what we do in student affairs. When I was running Frog Camp, you know, basically my job was teaching students how to be mentors. So mm -hmm. I worked with the camp staff to help them be really successful at their jobs. And so I will always remember I had done this for a few years when I had a student come to me and say, Joe Mark, will you mentor me? And I had actually never had anybody ask me that question before. And I'd been teaching mentoring for years and I sort of realized, oh dang, I now actually have to do this thing that I had been talking about. And as I sat down and I thought through what that meant, I thought, you know, I don't know that we really prepare people to mentor. I mean, we talk all that about finding a mentor and you know how to be mentored, but I think we just sort of assume that people bring all of the skills with them to be mentors that they need. And, and obviously that's not true. And so 
uh, for the past few years now, I've been thinking a lot about how to mentor well, um, how to help encourage people to be strong mentors. And so I've done some uh, presenting on that. I've done some talking about that. And so I'm doing some writing about it now. I've been working on a book on mentoring uh, that I'm super excited about. And so, you know, one thing I would say if anybody out there has good stories about being mentors and good insights, you know, I'd love to connect and talk about that. If anybody out there is a publisher who wants to publish a book on mentoring, I would love to connect on that as well. So it's because it's just kind of been a hobby and a passion project for me, but it's something that I believe in so strongly, uh, and I want to help folks really, really uh, mentor and, and serve others in that way. Hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to transition to our last segment, which is six big leadership questions. So uh, we are recording this on-site in ASPA Annual. We're currently speaking from the 22nd floor of the, uh, the Hyatt here in San Antonio, looking at the Tower of Americas. And uh, so we wanted to provide a preview of the great uh, sponsored SLPKC content at the conference. And uh, John Mark will be, is the coordinating presenter of one of, those, uh, one of those sponsored sessions. So what was the origin of your presentation in creative leadership, the arts as a tool for engagement and inclusion? Yeah, you know, so what happened for me was actually at Frog Camp, uh, we had this dance party that would happen at Frog Camp all of the time. This is, this is new, we haven't talked about this. So um, every meal, after every meal, we would have a dance party. Every evening we would have a dance party. And a few years back, some of our staff were just wasting time and they created this set of dance moves to the song Every Time We Touch by Cascadia, which mm. is this like dance floor classic song. Mm. Super simple moves, but they started teaching it to the staff who started teaching it to the campers and it became known as the Frog Camp Dance. Mm. And what would happen was we would see these campers come in and at the very beginning, one or two would jump in and, and would participate, but not very many would. Um, and by the end of camp, literally every single person at the camp is participating in this dance. I mean, the, the moves are super simple um, and, and very accessible to everybody. So you can do it if you don't have any rhythm. Uh, people who are you know, physically disabled or have other uh, you know, disabilities are able to participate as well. And so, it became this really interesting picture of inclusion through uh, creativity, through the arts. Because you watched this community form around, around this really simple dance. Um, and then I have a former staff member who is now at the University of Roehampton in England studying dance politics and sociology, mm. which is a fascinating, usually getting her master's in that. And she was a Frog Camp director, and so she and I have been talking a lot about kind of the role of dance in helping people feel included in a culture. And that just got me spinning off into the role of the arts and creativity in leadership. So, so for me, the arts are a tremendous venue for leadership development. Creativity goes hand in hand with strong leadership development. But I think it's one that we, again, we haven't necessarily done a whole lot of training on or talking about. So I'm really excited about this idea, this connection between the arts, creativity, and developing students as strong leaders who feel included and engaged in communities. Mm. Okay, great. Uh, so can you provide a summary of what we can expect from the presentation? Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna start off by talking a little bit about creativity theory. Uh, I think just like there's this misconception that people are born leaders, uh, there's a misconception that people are born creative. You either have creativity or you mm. don't. 
And the reality is just like leadership, creativity is a muscle that can be developed. And so we're gonna talk about what that means, what that looks like, how to do that. Um, and then we're gonna tie creativity and the arts specifically to the social change model of leadership development. So we're gonna talk about how creativity can help you understand yourself, uh, your own personal values, what you're good at, your strengths, your contributions, can help you understand uh, your group. So who you're with, how, how creativity can help people grow together, and then how creativity can help you understand your greater community, participate in that, uh, and find a voice where maybe people don't have a voice before. And then we'll finally talk about creativity as a force for social change. Okay, great. Uh, what, do you, what do you hope that the program participants are gonna walk away with? One, I hope that they do understand themselves as creative individuals, people who have this ability to, uh, to bring something new into the world. Uh, and, and it will give some very specific tools on building your own creativity, but also tying creativity to each of those stages of the social change model. So we'll have some tools for uh, individual development, we'll have some tools for group development and for community engagement as well. Uh, and we've also got some opportunities to get engaged in some creative projects uh, during our session, during our presentation. So it should be a pretty uh, busy time, a pretty engaging time with a lot of fun things that go on. Great. Great, that's exciting. Uh, so how do you think the components of, of uh, this program can be applied at other institutions? One of the things that I think is really useful right now, uh, one of my co-presenters, Dr. Gina Flynn, she's on a campus um, in Illinois and she's been talking a lot about uh, the role of kind of the arts and creativity in student protests and student mm. activism. And so she's got some examples from her campus of students who have actually used the arts as protest. And, and I'm really excited to see kind of that wrap around. And obviously, I think for all of us, that's something that we're thinking about right now. What does student activism look like? How do we help students grow as leaders in that particular space and in that particular venue? Um, and then obviously inclusiveness is, a, is an even bigger topic and an even bigger issue than I think it was in, for us recently, obviously, you know, more things are happening to more students where they're feeling uh, marginalized and, and thinking about the creativity and the arts as a venue to help communities come together, again, is gonna be, I think, applicable no matter where we are and mm -hmm. uh, uh, need for any campus. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so you've presented at NASP Annual uh, at previous conferences. So what are some tips you would provide for writing quality program proposals and for the actual presentation itself? It's a great question. I think, first of all, just submitting to present a program proposal at NASPA, that's, I mean, that's an exercise in resilience just in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, for this, for this conference, I mean, I submitted five session proposals and this was the one that got accepted in, in, all, in all of those. And I've got great friends and colleagues who, you know, have been accepted in years past and didn't get accepted this year. And so it's one of those things that if it's important to you, if you want to present, uh, you've got to keep at it. You've got to keep trying. Um, you never know what's going to resonate with the panels and, and um, with those folks. What I would say, though, in terms of the presentation, it's really important to me as just as an audience member that somebody's abstract connects to their presentation. So I've been in ones where you know, you walk in the presentation and all of a sudden it's about something completely different than what it appears to be like in the, in the program book. Uh, I think a lot of times when we're making proposals, uh, we take that abstract for granted because obviously the, the proposal is going to be accepted 
based on the outline and kind of the meat of the content, but people are going to choose to go to your presentation at the conference based on that abstract. Mm -hmm. And so really crafting that well and being very thoughtful about that. Um, and then I would say let the content serve what you want to do. Um, don't worry as much about uh, the session format, trying to shoehorn it into a specific con uh, uh, context or outline as much as doing what you know that you love and is important to you and you can really talk well about and then finding a presentation style to, to match that. Mm. Okay. All right, so for the last of the six big leadership questions, if you had one bit of advice to pass along to an aspiring senior leadership practitioner, what would you say? I say become an expert in something other than student leadership development. So obviously we work really hard to develop students as leaders and the more knowledge and ability and skills we have in that area, the better we can do our jobs. But also the more that you learn about something else, the wider your skill set is. And so for me, it did become the arts and creativity and, and immersing myself in that world has really opened up new experiences and new opportunities for me in student leadership development. Um, there's one of the theories behind creativity that we'll talk about is you can only build off of what you know. And so the more knowledge that you gain in a wide variety of areas, the more skills that you acquire that may not seem to be related at the time, the more things you have to draw on the more tools in your toolkit. And so the better leadership educator you can be uh, because you're able to make connections where connections didn't exist before. And so I always tell folks, if you want to be really good at this field, you need to know the basics and you, and you need to know this theory and you need to know these things, but you also want to bring something else to the table. You know, have something that you really strongly believe in and are interested in that you can dive deeply into and make those connections for folks as they're growing in, in their leadership journey. Hmm. Well, leadership is certainly an interdisciplinary process as Absolutely. well, so you uh, need, to, <clears throat> need to be able to pull information in from outside. Yeah, and, and I think you know, very few people come to our campuses with the ability to just solely focus on being a quote-unquote leader, and so we need to be able to talk about what does leadership look like in the arts? What does it look like as an engineer? What does it look like? For me, what does it look like in, in agriculture? What does leadership look like in that arena? And so the more that you know about those outside areas, the more that you can help students develop as leaders in those fields. Yeah, okay. Great, well, thanks for everyone. Thanks to everyone for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. And thanks so much to Dr. John Mark Day for your generous gift of time and for the great content. Thanks for having me. You can connect with John Mark on Twitter at John Mark Day. He's a great follow. And catch all of the great things coming up uh, from the Leadership and Campus Life Office at Oklahoma State on Twitter using the hashtag LeadOrange. And you can also find more information about their office at leadorange.okstate.edu. And you can find more information about the SLPKC on our various social media outlets, including facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, and on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can also connect with me on Twitter at Miles, which is M-Y-L-E-S underscore Surrett, which is S-U-R-R-E-T-T. -T. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, We'd love to hear about your program, so please shoot an email over to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, John Mark. Thank you.